Amen. Thank you, Miss Nancy. All right, let's delve into it. Romans chapter number three. We get back at it, our study of Romans, and uh, we pick up where we left off. Brother Ron's going to come down the middle aisle here. If you need to have or would like an outline, don't have one, don't have a prayer list with you, uh, you can get his attention as he comes, makes his way to the front, and then heads to the back. If you'd like to follow along, we certainly like for you to have one and uh, see what we're talking about. Certainly, you can see it on the PowerPoint, uh, but... Uh, Enjoy getting into Romans chapter 3. Boy, it's been a, we're building to this culminating moment here in chapter 3. And uh, he's uh, laying the final part of this, as we called it. First of all, let's just jump right into it. We talked about Paul's arraignment of the world. And uh, just the reality as he has put before us that all are under sin. And going back to the heathen of chapter 1, the hypocrite of chapter 2, and the Hebrew of chapter 3. And then we jumped in last week to his indictment of the world. And the truth about ourselves is presented here in these first few verses. Specifically, we've gotten into verse 9 and following as he's already dealt with the Jews in the first few verses, first eight verses of chapter 3. And uh, now he's really just bringing it to a close and a culmination. We'll see some of that tonight as we kind of uh, take a peek ahead at some great verses in chapter 3. And certainly we know the rest of it. Um, but notice that uh, uh, the, this truth, our depravity as human beings that every man is totally depraved before God. Uh, it's neither convenient nor comfortable. Uh, it is an affront to our pride. Uh, it, it is an affront to our indulging of the best thoughts and view of ourselves. Even though we would readily admit, oh, I'm a sinner, oh, I'm saved by grace, the fact is we don't really, it, it causes us to cringe to admit that I, outside of Jesus Christ, am totally depraved. <laughs> I am incapable of doing any good myself. I am incapable of, uh, of doing anything worthy of merit with God. And uh, that's not always easy for us to admit, not always easy for a person to come and ad- acknowledge uh, as they come to put their faith and trust in Christ. But nonetheless, it is true. We talked about this last two or two weeks ago, excuse me, the three views of men. Some people view man as doing okay. He's perfectly fine. He's healthy spiritually. Uh, he's doing great by himself. Mankind is accomplishing things and achieving things. And spiritually, he is fantastic. Others would say, oh yeah, mankind's a little sick, morally handsome issues. But overall, not horrendous. And uh, what we talked about with that, if we have the view that man is sick, what we are saying then that he has the ability of himself to get better. And that is not so. And so the Bible is very clear that you and I are what? Dead spiritually in our trespasses and sins. That we are spiritually dead. And if we are spiritually dead, then it makes it all the more necessary for someone to give us life. And who is that someone that is Jesus Christ? He is the answer. He is the one that brings us life. And so we saw this last week, and as we begin to delve into, even now, verse number 10, notice it, he's explaining and expounding upon what it means to be totally depraved. What are some of the things that characterize we as humans, apart from God and, and who we, how we stand in our position before Him? Notice it, look at verse number 10, if you will, with me. As it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. And so here he is. Here's where Paul starts. And and the best place to start with this indictment, this accusation against all of mankind, is to understand that this is not obviously the first time that it's written. In fact, some of your Bibles will tell you right there that Paul is quoting an Old Testament passage. Turn with me. Hold your spot there to Psalm chapter 14. Psalm chapter number 14. We'll jump back into the Old Testament. We'll see where Paul is 
quoting the psalmist, Psalm chapter 14. Interestingly, as we turn here, um, it's possible he's also quoting Psalm 53. They're very parallel in their statements, especially the first few verses in both of these two psalms. Psalm chapter 14, look at verse 1, and familiar certainly for this first verse. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Immediately, you and I will read that, those three verses. And what do we understand? Some of the very same things that Paul lists in chapter 3 of Romans, the psalmist lists here. We won't get into all two of them at this moment, but you'll notice this is the Lord was trying to find somebody who would seek after him. The Lord was trying to find someone who would understand spiritual things and understand God. And so uh, some parallels. What's also interesting, Psalm chapter 14, he repeats it twice at least. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10, and I believe I believe it's verse number 12, Paul does the same thing. He says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. So he repeats it, obviously both of them do, for emphasis. Why? Because here's a, a, a understanding that every human being has to come to. Naturally, we do not do good. We are not righteous, as Paul would put it. In fact, we've got to admit that from uh, God's perspective... We possess absolutely no righteousness in and of ourselves. In fact, to be righteous in God's eyes, we would need to be absolutely sinless. Absolutely sinless. Perfect. Because in God's book, that's exactly what being righteous means, isn't it? That's how we would define it. It's what we mean when we describe God himself. Oh yeah, God is righteous. We quickly say that. But reality is, sometimes we define it differently for God than how we might define it for ourselves. Often in consideration of ourselves, we we don't look at it from God's perspective, which defines righteousness as without sin, being perfect, free from sin, uh, but yet we'll define it for ourselves uh, from man's perspective that we might say, well, there's some people who are good. There, there's some people who might fall under that label of righteous, and uh, it's because of how we compare to others and, and ha- what we think we observe in the behaviors of others. So a person who comes along, and as we've heard them say, and maybe you and I said it before we came to Jesus Christ, well, I think I am a pretty good person. Well, from man's perspective, we understand that when compared to a harlot, when compared to a drunk, when compared to a mean and unkind person, when compared to a a co-worker who cheats the employer, uh, we might appear in our perspective pretty good. Well, what does that expose? Well, expose this. Our faulty logic. What's our logic? Well, when we look and we use a different perspective than God's for what righteousness is, we expose our faulty logic. And in that faulty logic, what do we do? We equate the good that we do or can do, that is, the human perceived righteousnesses, with the righteousness of God. We would sometimes say it this way. Have you ever heard this statement? We are comparing apples and oranges. We've heard that statement, right? You say, you can't compare those things. We're comparing apples and oranges. You can't compare this. Let's put it a a much better way that would be more apropos for this statement. You're comparing rocks and filet mignon. When you and I take our righteousness and we try to equate it on the same level as God's righteousness, we've just blown it. 
There's absolutely no comparison. But reality is this. Sometimes as we think of ourselves, we look at ourselves, hey, I, you know, I'm really not that bad in and of myself. Hey, friend, tonight, Christian, apart from Jesus Christ, you and I are totally depraved. If left to ourselves and the natural man wins out and we fear and, and it's lust and desires, there is nothing righteous in us. There was a time and point in our lives where we had to come to that understanding as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, apart from you, Father, apart from Jesus Christ, I have no righteousness to offer uh, for my condemnation, for my guilt. I have nothing to offer you. I am under sin. My righteousness are as filthy rags. It's interesting, down in verse number 12, we'll get to it, but he says we are altogether unprofitable. That's who we are as humans. We often calculate, we often try to uh, accumulate for ourselves enough human good or righteousness so that we think we can please God in order to gain his favor. Let's illustrate it this way. Okay? Let's say that you went into a bank and going into that bank, you walk up uh, to the teller and, and you tell her, hey, I want to open a bank account. Certainly the teller would be glad to help you out, ask you what kind of account do you want to open up? You want to do a checking or a savings account? And, and you reply, a, a, a savings account. And then in response, she says, okay, well, how much do you want to deposit? And quickly you respond, 250000 well, she's a little surprised, as I am, <laughs> that you want to deposit that much. And uh, $250, wow. Well, she kind of gets excited about it, and yet uh, with that, uh, she's not used to handling such a large sum of money. But she excitedly proceeds. She, she gets to the point where she asks you, okay, how are you going to be depositing those funds? How are you going to put this money into this, this savings account? And you say, I'm going I'm to give you cash. Wow, that's a lot of cash. I've never seen it in my life, but if you haven't, like to show me, I'll, I'll be glad to look at it. But hey, that's a lot of cash. How are you going to? And so hey, I have it right here with me. I'll, I'll be glad to deposit. And boy, she's like, okay, well, we're ready. And so uh, proceed. And so what do you do? You start to put that money up on the counter. As you put the money up on the counter, all of a sudden she realizes, wait a second, it's Monopoly money. Now, wait a second. You keep going. And you're, you are sincere. You mean it, boy. You, you've worked hard. Maybe someone snookered you and gave you monopoly money for working. Around. And you start throwing on there. She begins to reach, not for a deposit slip, but for the little alarm. She's going to call the guys in the white coats. She's going to put you in a coat where you permanently hug yourself. You ever thought about that? That's a strange. Anyway, okay. You can hug yourself all the time. Why? Because this is simple, don't we understand this? There's a big, big difference, excuse me, a big difference between monopoly money and the only legal tender, the only legal American currency that is accepted in this nation. Now listen to me. As monopoly money does not work in the U.S. Treasury's domain on our human level, so-called good and righteous deeds of human beings do not work, are not accepted in God's domain. So if someone thinks, well, I think I'm good enough. Hey, hey, do you know today, if you die, will you enter heaven? Well, I think that I am good enough that God's going to let me in. Do you realize what they just did? They held up Monopoly money. I want to open up a bank account. I've got $250,000 of Monopoly money. And the teller just looks and laughs. My friend, when you and I offer up our own deeds, our own righteousness to God, there's no way we can gain heaven. 
There's nothing that, that we can gain for heaven and for acceptance into paradise as it is described. And yet, this is the problem that runs through all of mankind. Paul speaks of it much in Romans. Look with me to Romans chapter 10. This is probably one of the clearer statements that Paul addresses. And boy, such a crucial statement. Romans chapter 3. In fact, I forgot I put it up here on the slide, so you can look up there or look in your Bible either way. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Man, what a statement. They are ignorant of what it means to, to be righteous in God's eyes and going about to what? Establish their own righteousness. Have not submitted, and that really what is where it comes down to, isn't it? They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That is a condemning verse, and yet it is a magnifying glass verse that exposes much of mankind's issue, much of his problem. We stand before the throne of God. We stand before God himself and says, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad. And yet God looks at us, and what are we? Totally depraved. We are unrighteous. There's none that, that doeth good, no, not one. There's none that are righteous, no, not one. As I mentioned here in Romans chapter number 3, verse number 12, you can glance down there if you're back with us here. It says, they are together become unprofitable. What is meant by that? Literally this, they're not useful. They're corrupted by sin. They're of no good. The Greek word in, in, that is here, translated as unprofitable, was used in ancient times uh, secularly to describe milk that had turned sour or rancid. It was so bad that it was no longer useful for drinking or even making anything out of it, like butter or cheese or anything that a human could consume. So when we read that we are unprofitable, because we as humans like to think, well, I'm not all bad. I've got some good to me. I've got a little bit that, that I mean, come on, I'm not that bad. And boy, yeah, you, you talk to a prisoner. You talk to people who have committed a crime. And, and boy, they're all innocent in prison, aren't they? They're all innocent in jail, I mean, for the most part. And we all like to think better of ourselves. And boy, that gets us into trouble because we don't want to admit that in God's eyes, from God's perspective, I am totally depraved. I am a sinner. Remember, as we have described it, Paul is building the court case to bring everybody to the realization that all are under sin. That as we stand before Almighty God, there's none righteous. We are all guilty, condemned. And we're going to find out that the cost of our sin, the penalty of our sin is death. As he builds up to the explanation of the, the problem that all mankind faces. And so this is one of the hurdles we've got to jump over. This truth, as he mentions in verse number 12, this truth of unprofitability of our own, unri or our own righteousness is necessary for all men to be confronted with. To help us see that what? We have fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of His perfectness, His righteousness. Now notice it, the next statement in our outline. In His currency of righteousness, I have nothing to offer. My hands are empty as I come before God. And that is a realization that all of us have to make when we come in salvation to put our faith and trust in Christ. I have nothing to offer. It's not, well, I promise to live a good life for you once I'm saved. No, that gets us nowhere. That accomplishes nothing. All you and I can do is plead the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's all we can do. It's none of me. I'm unrighteous. 
I don't do good. But praise be to God, Jesus Christ died for us. As we like to see it and see it pictured in Scripture that the robe of righteousness could be placed on us. Notice, what is he doing? He's setting the groundwork. Look at verse 21 and 22. Let's just peek ahead in the same chapter, Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God. So he's just exposed your righteousness is no good. You have no righteousness to offer. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Notice verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by good works? No. Which you naturally have? No. Which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that, what's the next word? Believe. Man, what a great truth. There's the righteousness we we can gain through faith and trust in Christ. For there is no difference. Can the Jew believe? Yes. Can the Greek believe? Yes. Can the Gentile believe? Yes. Can the hypocrite of chapter 2, the heathen of chapter 1, the Hebrew of the beginning of chapter 3, can they believe and gain the righteousness of God? Praise God they can. Every single one of us. If we will simply acknowledge and admit, wait, I have no righteousness to offer my God. I have nothing to, to, to say, this is why I should get into heaven. No, we come to the realization that the only righteousness I can plead is that which I have through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul is building a tremendous airtight case so that all would come to understand. To be a penitent sinner is to seek eternal life in the only one whose righteousness is fully accepted by God on our account, and that would be Jesus Christ. Notice back with me, chapter 3, you'll notice verse number 11. This is quite a statement, isn't it? There is none that understandeth, and then there is none that seeketh after God. There is none that understandeth, and there is none that seeketh after God. Let's take the first part. You see it there, number two on your outline. There is none that understandeth. Again, Paul repeats one of the statements found in Psalm 14, verse 2. Remember, I mentioned a second ago, the psalmist there portrays God coming down to earth, and he is he is looking to see if there's any that understand, if there's any that grasp spiritually who God is, where their status and position is spiritually, where they stand before an almighty God. We understand that as that is the case, what does it speak of? Well, it speaks of their ignorance, spiritual ignorance, my spiritual ignorance, your spiritual ignorance outside of God. On Sunday morning, we, we hit on this as we read a portion of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse 14. Remember this verse. We read it on Sunday morning. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So if I'm desiring to grow in spiritual knowledge of God and understand the things of God, I have to be spiritual. I have to have a new life in Christ and be created a new life so that I can then in turn understand it. Naturally, I don't understand spiritual things. Many times over, we we hear the word of God, the preaching of the gospel called what with man? Foolishness. Foolishness. That even the wisdom of God is considered foolishness. The bottom line is that man has no innate or natural comprehension of spiritual truth. In of ourselves, without the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God working in us and the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God, we would have no concept of the righteousness of God. 
I sure am thankful, though, that even, even as the great creation of God, you and I have a mind to think. We have reasoning ability much greater and better than the animals of, uh, that he has created. Here, you and I, yet in that ability, the amazing thinking ability we've been blessed with, we fall woefully short of comprehending spiritual things. Hence the need for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Hence the need for the powerful Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Why are we so dense? You don't like being called dense. I don't either. But why are we so dense when it comes to the spiritual things of God? We know the answer. It's what Paul's been saying. Why? Why do we not spiritually understand? Because somewhere along the way, and we know it goes to the Garden of Eden, sin entered the picture. And it corrupted our thinking. It corrupted our understanding. It broke a relationship that God had intended to be a mutually wonderful, beneficial thing. He created us for His good pleasure. And we were to derive much from this relationship with God. And with that, to have great understanding. But boy, the moment sin entered the equation... It affected everything of man, including his understanding of the God that created him. We see it play out in the the pages of history throughout the Scripture as man turns to idols, man turns to worshiping the sun, man turns to worshiping the animals. How in the world can such things happen when just a few years, hundreds of years before, the God of all creation walked with man in the Garden of Eden? I'll tell you how it could happen. It's called sin. And from that day forward, as it does even today in our lives, sin messes up everything. We have lost our ability to understand outside the mercy of God. Sin has warped and twisted our thinking when it comes to spiritual things. Paul states this in Ephesians. He says this about unsaved man being in sin. Here's what mankind is. Having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. It's a great statement. These things flow and we understand them, how they affect us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. We are ignorant of the God and His ways because of our sinful and hardened position spiritually. And then what happens? Well, we come to find out that because of this, the mind of man is tainted by sin. We've been affected. It's warped. It's it's messed up. Heart there indicating the mind. So think about it. Why don't people flock to the church? Why don't people cry out for salvation? Why don't people read and and study the Word of God? Simply because they do not understand their sin and the condemnation that is brought upon them. They don't understand the holiness and perfectness of God the Creator. They do not understand that eternity holds either heaven or hell for every person. And the one and only determining factor is what they do with Jesus Christ. If everybody understood that... My friend, the churches would be full. People would read God's Word up and down. They could not stay on a bookshelf. You and I could not preach the Gospel long enough. People would come in by the droves. But that's not the case. Why isn't that the case? Because their understanding has been darkened. They're ignorant of spiritual truth. How much simpler can it be? I am a sinner. 
My sin makes me deserving of hell. And yet Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And if I will believe in him and trust in him as my savior, I can gain heaven and lose hell. My friend, that is as simple as it gets. So what stops a person from saying, wow, I am a sinner. I'll be honest with himself and say, wow, God is real. And there is a penalty and a payment for my sin. And Jesus Christ did die on the cross for me. And all I need to do is put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Why? Because our understanding has been darkened by sin. And certainly there is an enemy, there is an opponent out there, and the devil and his devils that are trying to uh, distract mankind, get their minds focused on lies and falsities as opposed to the truth. So what's necessary? The convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. That's why Christ said it is, it is needed, it is necessary for me to go to heaven so that the Comforter and the Holy Spirit who will convict will come to earth. So that he can help to open up people's minds, their understanding through conviction and through the realization of the Word of God. Hence the reason not only the ministry of the Holy Spirit is needed, but the faithfulness of God's people to reach the lost with the truth that they do not at first or naturally understand. The faithfulness of God's people. Say, we're not going to quit just because people don't understand. Hey, we're going to go back and rethink the wheel. We've got we to change what we're sharing. No, we don't have to change the message. We've just got to keep giving the message and let the Holy Spirit go to work. Let the Word of God penetrate the hard soil of their understanding that has been darkened. Because of sin, our world is stained and is corrupted. We also need the church preaching Christ. Though, even as Paul said, the world, the carnal man, perceives the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ as foolishness. But to those who believe, it's everything. It's a treasure like none other. Aren't you thankful tonight there was a day when your understanding was not darkened? Where somebody was faithful and said, hey, here's the truth of God's word. And at first, maybe you didn't understand it, but somebody was praying for you and the Holy Spirit was working on you. And he was drawing you, as the Bible says, the the Father and the Holy Spirit was drawing you to Christ. Not overriding your will, but saying, hey, this is truth. You need to trust him. You need to come to Jesus Christ. And slowly but surely, the veil, the darkening was removed. The Holy Spirit pierced your heart with the truth of God's Word. And in that moment, you had a choice. Will I accept the truth of God's Word? Oh, yes, creation confirms it. Oh, yes, my conscience also confirms what I've heard of the truth of God's Word. And in that moment, you and I had the opportunity to put our faith and trust in Christ. No longer to walk with our understanding darkened. Because naturally, in and of ourselves, we didn't understand. But praise be to God, the Holy Spirit was sent to do just that for us. The world must hear the truth. The world must be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then they then must be willing to trust in Christ alone. Quite an indictment. So when we say that man is totally depraved, number one, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Number two, there is none that understandeth by themselves and of their own knowledge and thinking and mind. Sin has so corrupted us, they don't understand. We don't understand God without the Holy Spirit and His Word and the preaching of the truth. Look at it, number three, the next indictment that Paul shares with us. It's in verse 11, the second part. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that seeketh after God. 
this is quite interesting, he echoes again Psalm 14. There too, not only does God come in and searching for those who understand, but he said this, searching for those who would seek after him, seek after God. Now for some of us, this is a tough one. It's hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard to understand. Because as we look across the world, we see millions upon billions of people invested in, boy, they are dedicated to religions of all different kinds. Vast number of religions. They're zealous in their seeking after God, we might say. They appear to be seeking Him. We, we think of Senegal, we think of other places where uh, Islam and other types of religion, the uh, Catholics and Catholicism, I mean, there's just so many, Buddhists and Hindus, boy, boy, look at them, they're seeking after God, aren't they? Or are they? Because we understand from Scripture there's something that we must look at closely. Because when we do closely look at all these people around the world that seem to be seeking after God, we come to realize that they are faintly seeking after God. It's a false or uh, maybe a, a facade in their seeking after God. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, the Bible clearly teaches this. You see it on your outline there. The Bible teaches this, that all the religious system and efforts are nothing more but rejections of the one true God. They're a rebellion against his ways. It's an embrace of false gods and one's own desires. See, if we're truly seeking after God, what does God promise? You'll find me. So we take the truth of God's word and we now have to say, okay, here's all what mankind is doing. Now, wait a second. In creating their own religions or believing a false religion that the devil may have influenced and impacted some way, what are they really doing? Well, reality is this. They're not seeking after God. They're turning their back on God. It's kind of like the righteousness that Paul alluded to in Romans chapter 10. They come up with their own righteousness. They're ignorant of the righteousness of God. And so what do we see around the world in many different places? As they turn their back on the truth of God, man creates his own gods after his own heart. And there in this statement is the depraved part of man. It is his heart. He didn't understand. There's none that understand. That's, that's the, the mind. There's now none that seek after God. That's the heart. How do we know that's the heart? Because God promised this many times over. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13. And ye shall seek me and shall find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So it is a person who diligently, who faithfully, honestly, sincerely, seeks after God. It's not a divided heart. It's not a heart focused on getting you what you want. It's not a heart determined to define God for oneself, but that heart that diligently, sincerely, honestly seeks Him. But notice it. It's a catch-22. Can a man without God have a heart with which he seeks God diligently, wholly, completely, sincerely? No, that's not within us naturally. We don't have that within us. In fact, we are corrupt. Sin has corrupted us. And so from that moment that sin entered into the heart of mankind, there in the Garden of Eden, what did God do? God had to seek man. Isn't it interesting? What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Where did they do? They go seek God? <laughs> no, what they do? What your children do when they're in trouble, amen? 
They hide. And who came and sought them? God. And so from that moment forward, now listen to me, Christian. From that moment forward, God has been searching. The Son of Man has come to what? Seek and to save that which is lost. And I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful he did. Because in and of ourselves, we're sin-tainted, we're sin-corrupted, we're sin-stained. And because of that, my heart is corrupt and I don't follow after God the way I should when I haven't come to put my faith and trust in Him, when I don't know His truth from His Word. So God has been the one to initiate the contact, drawing man unto Himself through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God. So what would we describe most religions and most cults They are man-made devices, now note it, they are man-made devices not to find God, but to escape God. They don't want to come to God on His terms. They're not seeking God with a whole heart, a true heart. Why are they such to escape? Well, simply because we do not naturally seek after God. Again, I sure am thankful that the God of heaven sought you and me when we foolishly didn't understand Him. And we weren't necessarily seeking after Him. Now listen, you say, ah, Pastor Henry, but there, there's been people that I know, and even in my life, before I got saved, things happened in my life, and there were circumstances, and there was other people that, that influenced me, that, that I said, I, I need to find the meaning of life. I need to find the purpose of life. Step back a second. Who do you think orchestrated all those things in your life? Who do you think it was that was making this happen and and this disappointment, this heartbreak, and this thing not work as you were following your own way and your own path and God twisted it and changed it so that you were hopeless and you said, man, i got to find out the meaning of life. i got nothing left in life. I've got nowhere else to turn. Aren't you thankful that God sometimes takes away every other turn? Who do you think is behind it? It's God. He's drawing us to Him. He will not override our will. He will not force us to put our faith and trust in Him. But you better be sure your God's going to call people to Him. He's going to draw them. He's going to give them the opportunity. Why? Because He is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's our God. And I sure am thankful that when I didn't understand, as a six-year-old boy, I didn't fully understand, and yet God, through the Holy Spirit and His Word, taught me. Revealed things. Help me understand and see the truth so that I then, in conviction by the Holy Spirit, and through the truth of God's Word, could come to put my faith and trust in Christ. Now, I want you to notice something. Can can I just observe something for two minutes and we're done? Okay? I know we didn't finish the outline, but you're used to that. Now, listen. Here's what's interesting. You ever take a Christian, a believer... Okay? A believer who is backslidden. You know what I find interesting? As I'm studying it, the, the light bulb's going on spiritually. You know what happens? We revert. We revert. So when I'm not doing well spiritually and something has come between my Savior and I, you know what happens? We know this to be true. Uh, old message stuck with in my mind a long time ago, describing sin. I always used to say, you might remember, sin is like bananas. It always comes in bunches. Isn't that true? When we commit one sin and we allow it and we don't confess it, we don't repent of it, it normally leads to other sins in our life. 
There's none that doeth right, no, not one, or doeth good. There's none that is righteous, no, not one. Do you realize that sometimes when we get away from God, we start to go back to what we were before Christ found us? Not that we were perfect under Christ, but the reality is we start to really show and reveal that I'm not righteous. I don't have any good to me. You know what's else also interesting? You know what I find about people who, who, whose heart is not right? The relationship with God isn't right. They'll come and they'll say to me, Pastor Henry, I'm not getting anything under, from my devotions. Hmm, it kind of sounds like there's none that understandeth. I'm not getting it. When this preaching takes place or this teaching occurs and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying, it doesn't. In fact, someone contacted me, an old old friend, just this past week, and they were saying, hey, I'm counseling this guy, and, and uh, boy, he, he says he's not getting anything out of his devotions, he's not getting anything. And I'm telling you, it is a perfect description of you and I acting like someone who hasn't come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I want to tell you tonight, if you and I are ever, and I would dare say probably most of us have been at some point in our life where we have thought to ourselves, maybe we've never shared it, and we said this, I'm just not getting anything out of my devotions. You ought not to check and make sure your Bible, <laughs> something's wrong with it. You ought to check your heart. You ought to make sure that, wait a second, if I'm not getting anything out of this, spiritual things are discerned and understood by what? Spiritual people. So somehow, someway, sin has entered my life, and I am now acting like a carnal person, a person who has not been illuminated by the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. I'm not responding. And so now I'm like the person of Romans chapter 3, before, like I was before I was saved. And then, boy, isn't the third one the truth too? You show me someone who's backslidden. You show me someone whose relationship with God is not thriving. It is not doing well. And, boy... They are the ones who will miss church. They are the ones who won't have their devotions. They are the ones who who don't seek for opportunities to praise God. They are not seeking after God. What have we done? We've reverted. We've reverted back to the Holy Spirit convicting us. The truth has been revealed to us, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, sometimes even we as believers prove Romans chapter 3 true wasn't just when we were before we were saved. But even now, if we will give in to the old flesh and the old man, all of a sudden we start acting like what we once were. Isn't it interesting that Paul often says, don't act like the Gentiles with whom you used to walk. You used to do the same things. Don't go back there, Christian. I find this interesting, and it's a great parallel. You and I ought to check our own hearts and minds. Am I seeking after God tonight? Do I yearn to read the Bible tomorrow? Am I looking forward to my devotions tomorrow? Getting in His Word. Because if I'm not seeking after God, I may have reverted to the old man. I may have gone back. Am I understanding the things that I read? Now, granted, we don't always understand the Scriptures fully. Holy Spirit's still illuminating us. But I'll tell you this, my friend. I can open up God's Word when I'm right with God, and the Holy Spirit will teach me something. I may not understand 100% of everything I read, but I sure am thankful that even God can use Leviticus to teach me something. Why? Because I'm spiritual. I'm walking with God the way I ought to. And the spiritually minded understand spiritual things. It's a great truth from Romans chapter 3. Because at one point in our lives, we were this way without God. We had to come to the understanding through the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word to our need of putting our faith and trust in Christ. But sometimes we can see our relationship with God strained, not what it ought to be, and we start falling backwards. We regress to demonstrate these same things. 
It's a tremendous indictment from Paul. We'll get into the rest next week, and we'll come back and jump in and talk about the next couple things. They're all gone out of the way. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That's a great one. Description by Paul, and then the rest here in this chapter. Brother Cliff, you'll bring those prayer requests. I would ask you, we did not add it to the inside. You can do that. So please add Morris Glycer, Morris Glycer, evangelist there fighting cancer. And uh, I'm not sure when, but the last text I got from him, he needs a bone marrow transplant. So please pray for that. Pray for our teen missions trip, leaving next Tuesday morning. Brother Tony, Miss Diane, pray for that. I ask you to pray for um, Mert. Mert Bowker, one of our, our members here, a friend of Crystal Gwen, Mert, um, that she will be happy at uh, Shadow Tree Lodge in Lapeer and Hell. She had to move into there because of some health issues, some other situations there. So pray for Mert. The Lord would just undertake on her behalf and uh, help her uh, to be happy there uh, in that home in Lapeer. And just pray for good health for Mert Bowker. Mert Bowker, the Lord would undertake on her behalf. I ask you to pray for Pat and his wife and family. This is Crystal Gwen mentions this for salvation. Pray for Pat.